Welcome to Smarter Markets, a free weekly podcast featuring stories from the entrepreneurs and icons of commodities, capital markets, and technology, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we explore the question, is capitalism in crisis? And will building smarter markets be the antidote? Welcome to Smarter Markets, a weekly podcast that explores how financial and technology markets can be redesigned and improved to better serve market participants and society as a whole. Smarter Markets is brought to you by ABAX Technologies, and I'm Michelle Dennity, founder of Provatus Consulting and your co-host and fearless guide through the intersection of privacy, security, and digital technology. Today's episode is the fourth in a five-part series exploring the role of digital innovation in advancing the ESG economy, and we'll be chatting with Jacqueline Horton, Social Impact and Sustainability Manager at Dropbox. Jacqueline manages the Dropbox Foundation, Dropbox for Good, and leads the company's overall sustainability and carbon neutrality initiatives. She strongly believes that companies have a responsibility to contribute positively to the global community and are uniquely positioned to do so. Through her work in social impact and sustainability, Jacqueline hopes to empower others to be socially and environmentally conscious citizens and show corporate leaders that social impact is not only the right thing to do, but the smart thing to do. Stay tuned. My interview with Jacqueline is coming up next. And now, back to this week's episode of Smarter Markets. Welcome, 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 Jacqueline Horton. I'm super, super excited to have you here on Smarter Markets. This is, I think, your four or five in our series covering ESG, what it means for everyone, and how we're taking something that seemed like a nice to do, and isn't it lovely, into this is business, y'all. This is business. And so I think a woman that we had to have on the show, of course, was Miss Jacqueline Horton. So welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, and to talk about ESG today. Um, super excited. I work at Dropbox and have been on the social impact and sustainability team for the last three-ish years. So very excited to talk about some of our work and what we're seeing. Yeah, I love that. And and of course, Dropbox is it's so core to everything that everybody's doing right now. But it's fascinating to me that here we are talking about sustainability for something that sounds like, you know, a core piece that we all use and it's convenient. So tell us a little bit about your path, because you have a really interesting background that really covers not just the globe, but a lot of different disciplines and a lot of different areas. So can you talk a little bit about how you come to the table, if you will, of corporate social responsibility, specifically reporting the business as well as the be good to your community stuff. And, you know, really, how did you come to this? And then let's get into how do we do this and how do we do this better and how do we measure it? Yeah, my my background is a little bit of a winding path into um, social impact and sustainability. I actually started out at Dropbox on the corporate legal team, not as a lawyer, but uh, worked on our IPO for a year. So that really involved a lot of corporate legal, obviously, and working um, with our different SEC filings and getting prepared for a roadshow, but also um, working quite a bit with our finance and accounting teams. Gave me a lot of great background um, just holistically on the company, both through our diligence process and going to our IPO, but also the various filings we had to do. 
really encompasses everything within the business. And I think having that background has definitely served me when it comes to ESG, having worked with our investor relations team, accounting, everyone really um, having kind of the full picture, I think, um, and really having that business sense coming into it with a social perspective. It's put us in a situation where, you know, our ESG work, we're doing it for the right reasons and we're doing it for the right thing, but we're also doing it very much for business reasons. And as we'll probably get into later, that's increasingly really where everything's going. It just makes sense for business to be doing this. Yeah. Let's start to unpeel it a little bit. So ESG, I think traditionally has been much more weighted on on carbon credits and sustainability. I think, you know, I'm more on the S and the G on the social and the governance as a privacy and, and security professional. But, you know, when I look at your core brand and particularly the discussions you're having with investor relations pre-IPO with the venture community and then post-IPO, how do you reconcile the community aspects, the carbon neutrality aspects, the social and the governance, how do you sort of take these things that feel like sort of disparate but important topics and put them together into a strategy? How do you build that? And then who's kind of at that table on the inside? And then we'll, let's reach into, I I love compound questions, so you can take it anywhere you want, but we can, uh, you know, then take like, are the investors listening? Is this a a component of value for our companies and, and to investing companies? From what I'm seeing, and it's really increased at such a very fast pace over the last two years, investors want the information. You know, they're asking for companies to report to CDP. They want to know those questions are coming up from investors about what are you doing, both on the environmental front and on the social front. Um, and it's not just human rights practices in your supply chain, it's more than that. What are you doing above and beyond? For us, our journey, you know, it started early on and it really was a push from employees early on wanting to give back to the community. Like many tech companies, you know, we're very fortunate as employees of these companies and we reap a lot of the benefits of being employed there. But how do we get that beyond our walls? That was something that was really critical for our employees and our founders early on. So that started pretty grassroots way before my time. And over the years, just formalized. Um, we launched our foundation, the Dropbox Foundation, which is focused in human rights, just before we went public. And that's totally separate from Dropbox. It's an independent organization, total different legal entity. Um, but the focus in human rights was something very close to our founders' hearts and also close to our employees' hearts. We kind of surveyed everyone across the company, got a bunch of... Um, areas of passion from education to women's rights. And what we saw was that that all bubbled up into one main theme, which was human rights um, and equal access to opportunity. So one thing that's unique about our foundation is we are unrestricted funding. And I think something like 70% of funding is restricted, which means nonprofits, it's tagged to be used for only specific things. Um, Being a tech company, that's not the way that you get funding typically, right? Like you get funding and you're trusted to build a great product. So from our standpoint, it was kind of like, yeah, why would we fund any way differently? So I think I got a little off track there. No, this is good because I want to get into the foundation and how, you know, how you build that as a business. And, you know, I, I sit on numerous volunteer boards, both, you know, for medical things and school things and, and even tech things. 
And it's a different vibe when you are restricted in your funding than it is if you're building a product and the product happens to be something that serves communities. So let's get into that a little bit and then how you serve that up to your investors and, and make them not out of the goodness of their hearts. We'd love to think that everyone invests that way, but also how does this fit into a sustainable business that's going to give them returns? You know, why would you buy a share of stock in the first place? So let's go foundation and then let's go back home to ESG and our crusty old, you know, green shield wearing bean counters. (laughs) Yeah. Going back to the foundation, um, you know, for us, it's, it was important that it was independent and separate because we wanted to make sure that this was not Obviously, Dropbox Inc. partners with the foundation. And one way we do that is through skills-based volunteering with our employees. So our employees will actually volunteer their time in their professional capacity to do work for nonprofits that we call them partners, our grantees. But all in all, the foundation is not meant to promote our product, to promote our business. It's very, it was very important that it was authentically separate and there for one purpose, which was to help protect human rights around the world by supporting organizations that are doing that work. On the ESG front and how it kind of all ties into investors, you know, under our corporate arm, we have something called Dropbox for Good, which is a way to leverage our people product and really the platforms that we have as a tech company to do good in our community. And we've said it in a number of ways, both internally and a little bit externally, um, from being a good neighbor to a good community partner, but really what it is, is looking outside of our own walls and making sure that we're participating and being a good influence in the world. Now, why does that matter for investors? This is my kind of my personal opinion is we've historically really looked at the market as responding to shareholders. And I think we're seeing a big change that it's not just shareholders, it's stakeholders. And we need to be looking at stakeholders. So stakeholders can be your customer, your employee, your investor. It's not just your investor anymore. And on the employee front, employees expect it. Employees expect for their company to be doing the right thing and not just doing the right thing and being responsive, but getting ahead of it, doing things ahead of the curve. You know, we jumped on board with Slack. We were one of the first companies to do next chapter with Slack, which is working to create um, apprenticeship programs for formerly incarcerated individuals into engineering. And that is one of the number one things that employees are excited about that we're doing, you know, outside of our product. It's really not an option anymore. That's what employees want to see. And in this market, they're willing to walk away from an offer if there's a company that's doing better work on that front. And customers as well. I mean, we get the ask constantly, whether it's about our environmental footprint, whether it's about um, our human rights work and our supply chain, we get the questions as a supplier to other companies. And, um, you know, if we can't meet those expectations and hopefully exceed them, that directly impacts the investor and our share price. Absolutely. I like this perspective because you know, like ABEX Technologies, our, our sponsor of the feast here on the podcast, talking to them about really disassociating, you know, sovereign identities and individually driven things by the customer. And you're talking about a lot of self-driven, self-motivated employee giving the input, having the freedom to give the input, and then figuring out how do you then apply it um, in a business-friendly sense, if you will. Yeah. We've 
had a lot of programs um, around employees and giving them the ability to kind of pursue their passion areas when it comes to philanthropy. So we have gift matching for employees as well as volunteer time off and product donation to nonprofits. So employees can donate product to nonprofits they're passionate about. I love this. Okay. So I have done some stalking on you, young lady. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about Barcelona. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, you've done, you know, she's got all the ivy all over herself. You can look her up. She's very impressive. And then also some political science education in Barcelona, which I always find really interesting from what you're talking about is the dynamics of business and personal and self-sovereignty and human rights. You know, you're talking, you know, the Catalans have been, you know, in conflict for ages and you're, you know, spitting distance from the Middle East. When you talk about doing the right thing, how do you figure out what the right thing is with 7 billion souls running around with all their darn opinions? Yeah. I don't know that there is a right or wrong answer. I mean, there's plenty of wrong answers, that's for sure. (laughs) But I think there is not one right answer. I think, you know, my personal opinion is that people are people, humans are humans. And I think, unfortunately, over the last, I don't know, decade or a little bit less, as a global society, we've, we've become so focused on borders and lines that are quite arbitrary that divide you versus me. I don't know when we got so far from the simple truth that you're a human and I'm a human. And that's really it. The fact that I was born on that side of the line and you're born on this side of the line, why should that dictate my quality of life? And not just my quality of life, but my access to basic human needs. Yeah, exactly. And I think it applied to our businesses. So, you know, access to a human need, as we've seen during this pandemic, access to documents, access to information, sharing that information in an open way and sort of a democratic way, if you will. How do you put together a business case for things that may feel like they're um, softer sciences? I, I hesitate and I'm kind of stumbling over myself because in my mind, none of this stuff is soft. If you have a healthy environment internally, externally, You've got less churn, you've got more ideas, you've got less people in panic mode and more people in consumption and and creative and sharing mode. So how do you pin that down? You have to focus. How do you build your business plan? How do you make your selections? These are tough choices. It can be tough, to be honest, when you have thousands of employees. Philanthropy can be really personal, uh, as it should be in some cases. But yeah, you definitely, you know, as a company, if you want to make an impact in anything, you have to have a focus area. The way we went about it was really keeping that kind of cause agnostic arm for employees because we don't want to stifle their passion. So that's our gift matching, our volunteer time off. That is cause agnostic. They can do that for wherever they want, however they want, divided up into two hours of time, any nonprofit. When it comes to the foundation and then some of our other corporate social responsibility work, we have chosen more focus areas. So human rights is our biggest example at the foundation. And really our mission around that has been to promote unrestricted funding. You know, obviously human rights is a very broad topic and we have tried to continue to have a pretty well-rounded portfolio in that sense. But the focus is almost in kind of what we want to share with the world and hope to show others is these are the experts. These are the experts in that area. These nonprofits know what they're doing and we trust them. We talk to them. We're on the phone with them at least once a month. We know what's going on. 
this idea that they need to be kind of watched over and babysat with the money. It's just not, they know way more than I do about these issues. So that's been a really important focus for us because one, we think it's the right thing to do. And two, it just aligns with our values as a company, you know, living out our values as a company has been something that's always been really important to our leadership team. So whether, you know, one of our values is make work human. I think that's really what it comes down to is we can get the whole world, right? Like it can get so big in your head and you can get so far removed, but how do you also keep it human and keep that connection? That would be one of our big focus areas. But then how do we decide where we focus? I would say the short answer really is that it aligns with our values and it gets people internally excited. And it's something that's truly needed. I think one thing I see sometimes in philanthropy and not to criticize it is that we we think on the corporate side that we have all these tools and we can help you with this, this, and this, but stopping and actually listening to hear, is that even helpful? You hear the cases of all these donations and nobody actually needs some of them. And then it's just sitting there. Right. You make it look more corporate on the outside, but it doesn't really solve the mission on the inside. Yeah. So for us, the focus is less on what areas and more on how can we be a good partner? Um, And that has been on being worthy of trust, one of our values, and trusting our partners. What I'm hearing from you, Dropbox has this core set of values. They came from founders and the first people they chose to hire and the people that finance them, et cetera. And then this grows and grows and grows. And now you're this huge international brand and a public company. So the values of of trust, of course, I'm a privacy gal. I'm all about the trust. <laughs> but I think uh, I'm so I'm deeply biased here. But I think what I'm hearing from you is so exciting to me because the question I wanted to get to with you too is there's some stuff that went down in 2020. A lot of stuff went down. And I think it revealed a lot of things about healthcare, education, you know, human rights, uh, women, our relationships, uh, our international perspectives, uh, how we react in a crisis, on and on and on and on. And I think, you know, you can look at all that as like, oh my gosh, dumpster fire. Or you can look at this as how does, what does this mean for the next pivot? We have some new information. We've got a new generation that's come up with this. We were joking around as we were plugging in about how our kids are going to be like a totally like this moment in time changed an entire generation as a reset on the planet. That has such a rare moment. And it was simulcasted. So yes, World War II, disruptive, all this other historical stuff, but on television all together all the time. So here you've got trust, you've got Dropbox in the middle of this and the foundation. What are you seeing going forward? What is a smarter market? How should we participate? You know, you could fix the world if you've got that answer, but really how are you thinking about like 2021 and beyond? What does this mean for a smarter, more engaged, more trusting market? Gosh, I wish I had the answer to fix the world. (laughs) Don't we all, right? Yeah. You know, I can't speak on behalf of Dropbox, obviously, as a company, but I think there's so much momentum from really a tragic year. I don't know how else to describe it other than there there was so much tragedy. But with that comes a lot of momentum, whether it's from the environment and climate change or social issues. I think seeing so much unrest and just calamity, the generations that are growing up in this and, you know, there's it's it's impossible to turn your back on it and just 
business as usual. I think there was already a shift in businesses playing somewhat of a role in at least being responsible in how they go about their business. But I think this has just carried it beyond that and really shown that it is a clear responsibility. And we don't really have the option to not respond to these issues in a way. Um, The market is demanding it. And if you want to be successful, I think you have to show up in that way. Yeah, I love that answer because it's, you know, I've lived out in Silicon Valley for a long time and it was so cool in the aughts when all these big tech companies had ping pong and bowling and massages and food and oh my, oh my, oh my. And the dry cleaners just outside two blocks down were going out of business and all the family run restaurants and nobody could buy a house and they'd live there for generations on and on and on. And I think that is sort of a a micro perspective of some of the issues that have really been revealed. You know, we don't need to be on planes as much as we are for 15 minute meetings with each other, but we need a better way of getting to our families. I haven't hugged my dad in over a year and it's, and you know, he had COVID twice, once with the first wave and once with the variant. I know he's kind of a tough old bastard. Love him. Um, But getting, you know, getting to where we want to go and getting why we want to go. I think all of these things are underpinned by, um, what you're talking about and, and talking to nonprofits and respecting nonprofits. Someone has sacrificed probably a very prestigious and well-paid career as a lawyer somewhere, an accountant, an executive to take a seat and do something for their community. And I think there's something really um, noble in that. And so I'm wondering, how do we get past, I think, the grief process of last year? Because I think you're right, calamity after calamity and just we almost got numb. The numbers got bigger and bigger. And these were humans dying every day. How do we contribute? Because I'm a born optimist. Otherwise, I could never do data privacy in the middle of Silicon Valley. (laughs) (laughs) And I I sense there's some similar wiring. Uh, You know, you've studied a lot of different things and variety of things. You've taken a lot of big chances. So, I guess I'm I'm going to dive in and you can you can reject any of this Jacqueline you could say I am here as a corporate person and I will not answer <laughs> personal questions but you know how how does this change your leadership how does this change your organization and are you getting a sense that the smarter markets are coming through your team and through your partnerships with these not for profits and the relationship you have with sort of the mothership company if you will I'll start with one thought that I'm kind of stealing from a good friend of mine, Kenyatta Leal, who works with Next Chapter and also worked with The Last Mile for formerly incarcerated individuals and um, making pathways into tech. And that's, it all starts with proximity. You know, we are so far removed in that scenario from these issues, right? There's fear because we don't understand, we're not close to it. But once you are in proximity to these problems, you can't look away. I truly believe in humanity. And I think once you are close to something, the human nature in you will not allow you to look away and you will want to do something to make the world better. So I think that's my first thing is to encourage everyone, like get close to issues. If something makes you feel sad, it's almost like lean into that problem and go help be a part of the solution. And I also think that's where you can find passion and connection with other people, which everyone is craving right now is connection. You know, we got so separated. You haven't had your dad in a year. It's it's unthinkable, really. I mean, I don't think I ever thought in my entire life that that would ever be a thing that I couldn't just hop on a plane and see a family member. And in terms of working with nonprofits, you know, the SDGs, one of the pillars is partnership. 
And that really symbolizes partnership from corporate, government, NGOs, um, NGOs being nonprofits. I think that that is something, at least I'm seeing in Silicon Valley and with tech companies, more and more of this willingness, and not just willingness, actually, um, really an excitement around working across that line, that corporate nonprofit line. You look at places like Fast Forward, where they're kind of an incubator for tech nonprofit startups, and they're partnering with corporate companies like Dropbox, Microsoft, all of us, right, to to share ideas and resources and hack weeks where you have tech employees working with nonprofit employees and sharing their ideas and, and their learnings and skill sharing. And it's so amazing to watch it happen. I feel so fortunate to get, you know, I don't understand anything technical. I don't know how to code or any of that, but we can fix that. We can fix it <laughs> <laughs> to be able to watch that happen. And I always tell the engineers, I think you're all just doing magic because I don't know how you make this work. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it truly is the magic when you see the look on their face, you know, they're working for a tech company, which is wonderful. But then they use that special skill they have to do something really meaningful with a nonprofit that is doing incredible work out in the world. And to see that spark in a person, I mean, I could be having a horrible month or day or whatever, like that one time really makes it for me. And I think that's universal to an extent. I think most people would feel that way. And the more and more we do that, the momentum will continue to build. And I don't see that we could go back after that. I think it will just continue. I hope so. So, I mean, I think we are often perceived when we talk about this sort of connective pull up everyone around us as lefty, lefty, progressives, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think there's hardened, hardened libertarians who love their kids and, and are have affiliations, whether they're religious or musical or art. I'm I'm astonished in a bit by this sort of left-right narrative. Uh, particularly aimed at Silicon Valley, because I think people would be quite shocked to hear how, you know, fiscally conservative a lot of folks are while still demanding better solutions and more eloquent things and throwing out and, you know, having a planet with air that we can breathe and stuff. So how do you sort of square that circle and say to the financial side and the far, far left side, like, how do we get this together without seeming like we're, we're being bias. So you can't be bland, but you can't be biased. So how do you do that? That's a tricky, tricky thing. That is very tricky. And I'm not sure I have an answer other than kind of similar to the question you asked around Spain. I think you just have to get to simple in a way, you know, we can be having whatever argument about whatever political issue. But when I put the human in front of you that is experiencing that, and you have a conversation with them, I don't think that political parties are going to get in the way once you have that proximity with the person experiencing it. I, I do believe there is an aspect of human nature where you're going to care and it doesn't matter what side you're on. If we can create more opportunities like that, where you're not just hearing it on the news, you're not just hearing the stories and reading them, you're really up close and personal to them, which I'm lucky to be able to do that in my job. You can't ignore the human story. 
Yeah, I love that. And I, you know, this is why I'm in love with math is I think, you know, going back to Marco Polo, the only way the Silk Road worked was human to human, people feeding each other, people making sure that they weren't getting robbed along the way. And quite honestly, math, it's like a zero is a zero everywhere. There's some stuff we can agree on, right? Our heads typically are above our feet when we're walking around, you know, with some variants out there, but uh, we eat, we sleep, we love and I think those are mathematical principles too. So whether you feel she's squishy and that makes you nervous, cool, cool. If you want to be a coder and sling code and just talk about crypto and, and being private because you might be socially, you know, have different preferences, that's good too. So I think um, that's what I'm hearing from you is it's not a political thing. It's not a lefty, lefty Silicon Valley, blah, blah, blah. Because I hear the eyes rolling in the audience from the hedge fund managers. <laughs> so, you know, hedge, hedge this, folks. Humanity wins every time we buy things, we grow things, we invent things, and we create great foundations and businesses and affiliations. I think that's a really great uh, insight that you've got. Yeah, I think it, it comes down to everything starts from a human level. And if you kind of take away the noise, similar to in business, right? Keep it simple to some extent. We overcomplicate things. We get a lot of noise and drama. And it's like, let's just get back to basics. Right. Let's just do stuff. So if I'm not voting for you in 2028, what what am I doing? Like, where are you at? How do I know you? How are we catching up and having cocktails? What are you doing with your life? Oh, gosh. In 2028. Okay. That's what? Seven-ish years? I figured it's the next cycle. Like we'll leave out 2024. We're still recovering. <laughs> we'll get to 2028. What am I doing? I'm still trying to figure that out. I really like what I do. I love working on the corporate side um, in social impact and sustainability. I think it's a super exciting time to be in it because it is very much becoming a part of the business, not just you know the nice to have fluff that I think it had been in the past. Yeah, I think just continuing to work within businesses to show that this is important and it's not just important from a it's the right thing to do point of view. It's important for the bottom line and it will continue to be. And if you're going to be a successful company in the future, this has to at least be on your radar. That wraps the wrapper around for me, but I'll I'll sort of like hit it one more time over the head. ESG, that's how we started this conversation. It seems to me from what I've heard over the last 40 minutes or so, this is a growth field and it's not a lipstick. It's not a greenwashing. It's like it's here and it's business and here to stay. Do you think that's fair? And do you think it's going to be more more independent foundations or do you think it's going to be SEC driven, legal driven, people driven? Pick one <laughs> or pick many. I don't care. Oh, I was going to say one is hard. I think we will see some investment drive there. I think I really think it'll be customer investor and employee driven. Customers want to feel good about what they're buying. Employees want to feel good about where they're working. And those with the money to invest want to feel good about what they're investing in and what they're supporting in their world. And if they can't have a voice directly, they can speak with their wallets. And increasingly, we're seeing that people want to do that and they want to stand up and change things. I love that. Well, I can't end it any better than that. Do you have any final words of wisdom? Well, I guess, I mean, for me, again, very simple, kind of what I try to live my life by is make good choices, do the right thing and be a good person. Um, and I think that can go from being a bleeding heart, what have you, to being a business person. 
and both. You can be both. <laughs> exactly. You can. And I'm, I'm excited that we are in a time where that narrative is becoming more and more clear um, and people are really excited about it. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Smarter Markets as much as I did. Please join us next week for the final episode in our five-part series about the role of digital innovation in advancing the ESG economy. I will be speaking with Bina Alanoff, the Executive Director of the Deloitte AI Institute. Bina is an award-winning senior executive with extensive global experience in artificial intelligence and digital transformation, spanning e-commerce, finance, marketing, telecom, retail, software, and industrial domains with companies such as HPE, GE, Thomson Routers, British Telecom, and Bank of America. Bina is also the founder of the not-for-profit think tank, Humans for AI, and thrives on envisioning and architecting how data, artificial intelligence, and technology in general can make our world a better, easier place to live for all humans. Listeners, please, please help us get the word out about Smarter Markets. Your ratings and reviews on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast platforms mean the world to us, as does your help spreading the word about smarter markets via social media and word of mouth. On behalf of ABAX Technologies, I'm Michelle Dennity. See you again next Saturday morning. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets. For free episode transcripts, visit smartermarketspod.com. Smarter Markets is 100% listener-driven, so please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or sponsors. Smarter Markets, its producers, sponsors and hosts, Eric Townsend and Abex Technologies, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets. Markets.